0: Welcome. Um, I hope you feel really blessed to be among us. We're certainly, it's great to have you here. Let, let me make a slight confession, then we'll pray, and then, um, and then we'll read. This is not going to be um, a normal Globe Church sermon. Um, and the reason is because normally we just take a part of the Bible and just work our way through it. But today we're going to do something a little bit different. In fact, we're going to be a little bit all over the place. Do I need to switch? And therefore, I'm going to mention quite a lot of different Bible verses, which you may not have time to look up. And that's okay, because this sermon is going to be recorded. So you can always go back and look at them again later, or you can scribble them down as we go. Um, But try and follow some of them if you can, but it will make sense, I think, um, as we go. And the reason we're going to do that is because I want us to look at a subject, um, a kind of a theme, rather than one specific passage. And we're taking this um, idea of encountering God. That's what our series is at the moment. And last week, we began to think about what should be our expectation as we gather together. What are you actually expecting to happen? And we saw last week that the Bible sets some pretty big expectations, that actually, as we gather together, we're joining with the joyful angels in glorious assembly. We're part of the church of the firstborn. We, We meet God, the judge of all, we come to Jesus, the mediator. We, we saw all this stuff last week. It is mind-blowing what's going on. And if that's what we should be expecting, then the question we're going to think through today is how should we prepare for that? Now, the problem you're going to have with today's sermon is that you won't really be able to apply it until next Sunday because... A lot of what we're going to say, you've already either done or you haven't. Um, Because I'm going to talk about practically how we get ready to come to church. But you're also going to find that a lot of what we see in the Bible is not just about our Sunday gathering, but actually applies to a lot of the ways that we approach God when we come to pray. how, How do we come? That's the sort of thing we're going to be talking about. So I'm going to pray. And then we'll dive in. Father, we ask, please, as we've just been singing, that you would speak to us. Father, we pray that you'd raise our expectation, that you would prepare our hearts, that we might be ready to hear what you want to say to us. Lord, please, by your Spirit, speak now, we ask, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, this is how it's going to work. There are two big things, two big points. This isn't difficult. They're not going to be on the screen because I think it's easy to remember. The first big thing is going to be a much shorter point, but is probably a more important point. So don't let the length of time I spend on it rob you of the fact that's probably the more important thing I want you to hear. And then we're going to hear the second point, which is longer, but is more practical and rests on the first. If you're confused, don't worry. The first thing that we're going to see is we need to hear the invitation. And once we've heard the invitation, the second thing we're going to see is we need to catch the foxes. But we'll get to that. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 55. That's where we're going to start. Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Because some of the things we're going to say later on in this time together may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, may make you feel a little bit, perhaps even a little bit guilty, a little bit kind of, oh no, I... And before we get to any of that, I want you to hear very clearly the invitation that God gives you. Here it is, Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money... Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. If you ask me, what do you need to do to prepare to come to church? What do you need to do to prepare to approach God? In one sense, the answer I want you to hear most clearly is you have to do nothing except come. There is no special ritual you have to go through. There are no special clothes that you have to wear. There are no special words you have to say. There is no special behavior you have to put on. You just come. And that is the beautiful simplicity of what we believe as Christians. You don't have to get yourself sorted. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up. You don't have to prove yourself worthy. You don't have to make yourself beautiful. The king invites you to come. And if you missed it, he said it over and over again. Come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. If you feel unworthy, come if you feel like you have no right to be here, come. This is the invitation that the king gives. Hear the invitation. And the beautiful thing about this instruction to come is that it is the simplest of all human instructions. In fact, I reckon it was probably one of the very first instructions you were ever given in your life see, when you first started to be able to walk or to crawl and you wobbled, someone will have said to you, come, come to me. Because the tiniest child understands what it's like to come. You didn't stand there as a baby going, I don't understand what you mean. You knew exactly what they meant. You didn't rush off at the point when someone said, You come to me. You didn't rush off and go and get yourself prepared and ready. You didn't go and have a bath. You didn't do anything. You you staggered towards them and fell into their arms. That. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? And so if you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, if you're here this afternoon, you don't normally come to church, I want you to. This is the only thing I want you to hear this afternoon. That God, this afternoon says, come. Come in all of your unworthiness. Come in all of your sense of undeserving. Perhaps you feel unworthy. You feel a failure and God says, come. And you may say, well, how on earth do we know that God says come? It's just words in a book. Well, these words in a book became a man on earth. Jesus, the son of God, walked this earth. And guess what Jesus said? You know this, right, many of you? Jesus said, come, come to me, all you who are weary and laden, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's it. And so if you turned up at church this afternoon in a complete state, if you turned up as a, as a wreck, if you've had a lousy morning, if you've had a terrible week, if you haven't thought about God for all week, if you, if you feel utterly useless, God says, come, I came for you. And the reason that God is able to say that is not because he just ignores what we've done wrong. He deals with what we've done wrong. You see, God, our beautiful heavenly father, when he says, come, he says, I'll give you. I'll give you food to eat. I'll satisfy your thirst." You see, when Jesus came into this world, the very reason he went to a cross and died, the reason he spread out his arms on the cross was that he might say to you this afternoon, come to me, come. My arms are open wide. And it's in that death as Jesus shed his blood on the cross that he paid for all of the things you've done wrong. That's why he can say, come. Because you might sit there and say, yeah, yeah, I know this probably applies to other people, but it doesn't apply to me because you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know what you've done, but guess what? He does. Jesus knows what you've done. He knows the very worst that you've done. He's seen it. There's no point hiding. But rather than reject you and send you away, instead, he says to you, come. And this afternoon, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, like a little child, you totter forwards and you fall into his arms and you find the one who loves you. You've got to hear the invitation. Do you know that this afternoon? Perhaps that's all you need to hear this afternoon. Perhaps that's it. Perhaps the reason God has brought you to church this afternoon is because he wants you to rem- remember that invitation. But I now want us to take that and say something weird happens as you go on in the Christian life. You start as a little child falling into your father's arms. But something weird happens as you go on. You find that that joy in knowing that God, the joy of knowing that King, it sort of disappears. And you can come to church and you can sing songs. Songs that you used to be really excited about, right, perhaps? Songs that used to really cause your heart to burst with joy. And now you stand, you sing the same words, but they don't. I don't know, they just don't do anything. They don't move you. You just, what's happened? Well, here's one, I want to move to the second point. And this is where we're going to take a bit of time and try and be practical about helping us to think about what's going on, and in particular, how we can prepare in such a way that we can encounter God when we meet. And if the first point is hear the invitation, the second big point is catch the foxes. Um, Now, this comes from um, a book called Song of Songs. Um, And if you want to turn there, you can. Um, But if you don't want to, that's fine. You can just listen, because I'm only going to read a very short little bit. Um, So in Song of Songs, um, chapter 2, just to to fill you in, Song of Songs is a love story. It's a love story between um, a king and his beloved. It's a beautiful love story. It's a story of human love. But it mirrors and it pictures and it symbolizes the greater love story of God and his people. So as you read Song of Songs, what you're reading is, yes, a human love story It teaches us much about human love, but it teaches us in a much bigger way about the love of God for his people, the love of Jesus for his church. And listen to what the king says to his lover. This is really interesting. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15, um, well, I go from verse 14. My dove in the clefts of the rock. This is the, the king talking to his, to his bride. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards our vineyards that are in bloom. You may go, this has all gone very weird. What's, what is he talking about? Well, what the, what the king is talking about with his beloved is he is saying to her, there are things that come into our relationship that ruin the vineyard, that spoil our vineyard, spoil our love. The little foxes that come in and dig things up and ruin things and, and mess up our joyful relationship. And that is true in human relationships but it's true also in the relationship between God and his people, between Jesus and his church. So I want to take that image and say, what are some of the foxes? What are some of the things that might come into our relationship where once we were joyful, right? Where once we were excited about coming to God, now it's all become a bit mundane. What are some of the reasons that might happen? And how this afternoon might we catch them? Because they're running all around. And this afternoon, we need to catch the fox. (laughs) We're not literally going to jump around. But what are some? I want to suggest three just to get us thinking. And you may be able to think of more. And I want to try and be practical. But here are the things that might threaten and spoil our relationship with God. Here are reasons that I think sometimes... A church service like this, or when we come to pray on our own, well, sometimes it feels a bit rubbish. Firstly, I want to suggest cluttered diaries. is one of the foxes that genuinely will spoil our relationship with God. Cluttered diaries. Now, I'm going to say some stuff I want you to keep hearing, right? Keep remembering what I said in point one. Nothing that I said in point one has changed. The invitation is come, come to God. But I do want to talk practically about the way we use our time. Because it's very easy, as far as I can see, living in London, for our diaries to very quickly get filled up. And actually for time with God to be something we do that fits in around all the other things we do with our lives. And I want to gently suggest that perhaps that might be because our priorities are the wrong way around. Okay, imagine... Let's take a, a human love story, since we've got Song Songs open in front of us. Imagine there is a, um, a king and his bride. But for some reason, they only get one day every three months together. They're apart. They get one day every three months together. That day, right, would be a, a big deal, right? That would be a special day. So imagine that the bride comes to, to, to her um, bridegroom and it's like, it's today, it's today. And he says, lovely to see you. I just need to go out shopping. I need, there's a few things I need to get in Tesco. She's like, oh. All right, fair enough. And actually, there is, a, there is a football game on this afternoon, which I hope you don't mind. I'm going to, you don't mind. I've invited some mates, so we're going to watch that. I mean, you're welcome to be in the corner. You don't, you don't have to go out. You can stay. Right, you can see that. That's ridiculous, right? Could it be that that is how we treat God? Many of you will know that God set up a system, right? He set up into creation a seven-day week. And one day in that week was to be the Sabbath, was to be the day of rest. And it was to be the day, now here's here's another Bible verse you can look up um, later. Don't worry about turning to it particularly. But Isaiah 58, listen to what Isaiah 58 says. So God says, I've given you this one day to rest. And it wasn't just a day to put your feet up. It was a day to enjoy God. That's what it was about. One day to spend time with God. Six days you work, one day you rest. And in Isaiah 58, verse 13, God says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, And the Lord's holy day honourable. And if you honour it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God says there is one day and I want it to be a delight to you. I want it to be the best day of the week. I want it to be the day when you say this is our day to be with God. To delight. But over and over again, what you read through the pages of the Old Testament is that Israel repeatedly refused to keep the Sabbath. They broke the Sabbath. In fact, the two biggest sins of Old Testament were idolatry and Sabbath breaking. Those are the things God says over and over again. Isn't that interesting? Why is he so bothered about what they did on the Sabbath? Because it's his day. Because it's the day you spent time with God. The one who loves you, the one who saved you, the one who gave himself for you, the one who redeemed you out of slavery. And God says, we get a day together. And they say, well, actually, we're busy today. But you may say to me, but we don't keep the Sabbath anymore. No, we don't because the Sabbath was a Saturday. But you do discover when Jesus rises from the dead that the early church shifted their meeting from the Saturday to the first day of the week, to a Sunday. And so the pattern, as you read, in the early church is that they begin to meet on a Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, let me be... Stick with this for a second, right? This will make some sense, I hope. I think there are two ways that we can fall into an error at this point. There is a, there's a, a way of thinking it's called Sabbatarianism. Don't worry about spelling it. I don't know how to spell it either. Um, but Sabbatarianism takes the Old Testament idea of one day a week and implies it very literally today and says, you must have one day. And it puts lots of rules in place. So when I grew up as a kid... Um, I wasn't allowed to play football on a Sunday. I wasn't allowed to watch TV on a Sunday. And and this was very, very common. This was just... um, A a lot of you might have experienced something similar, but many of you won't, because this was quite a generation back thing. And there was a lot of rules. There was a lot of what you could and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And if you've ever seen the film um, uh, Chariots of Fire you've never seen Chariots of Fire, you really should. Um, Eric Liddell, the great sprinter, that amazing talent, but a Christian who refused to run on a Sunday. And sometimes I think we watch that and we go, ah, slight, it makes me feel slightly awkward, because well done for being so bold, but I think I would run on a Sunday, so what? well done. <laughs> I don't know if you that... And we can struggle, right? Because I think we've swung a long way from the Sabbatarian type idea. I think we've swung a long way towards what I would call everyday the samism. Less technical term. <laughs> that is that there is no difference between Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Do what you want. You get two days at the weekend, doesn't matter what you do. And we've swung a long way towards that type of view that basically says, yeah, Sunday's the day we go to church, but otherwise it's pretty much the same as every other day. I think that's a mistake as well. Because God has set this pattern. Now, in Jesus, we have a liberty. In Jesus, we have a freedom to be able to use the the, the Sunday, Sunday for his glory. But here's my question, right? If you could do your shopping on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday, why would you do it on a Sunday? When instead of doing that, you could spend time with God's people, you could spend time in prayer, you could spend time enjoying God, you see? Now, I'm not calling for us to go back to a strict list of rules, you can't do this and you can't do this, but my question is, how do we use our diaries in such a way that Sunday becomes a delight to us? So that perhaps Sunday is the day when we get to spend a bit longer in prayer. Perhaps Sunday is the day when we can, we can invite some other friends from church over for brunch and just spend some time together. And Sunday is the day when we can then have the time to get ready for church. So that you don't turn up at church kind of flustered because you've been busy trying to do a hundred other things. You come to church ready to worship ready to enjoy God because you've prepared. There's lots more that could be said on this. And like I say, I, I, I'm saying this so that we might consider it carefully. But let me push even slightly more practically on this diary thing, on, on our time management. I also think, and don't shout at me, I also think if you turn up five minutes after the church service has started, it's very difficult to engage. Let me tell you the difference that it makes to get here early, because then you get the chance to encourage other people. You get the chance to chat to other people. Now, I'm not having a dig. I, I deliberately wasn't looking who came early and who came late today. I, I thought i would just look the other way today because I knew I was going to say this. And I understand that sometimes there's no way you can avoid being late. I understand that. It's London. But sometimes there are ways we can avoid being late. And turning up on time is a way to love your brothers and sisters. I tell you this, people who are new to church will always be early, nearly always early, because they're not sure where it is, they leave plenty of time, they get here early. They turn up, and there's no one here to welcome them, because we all turn up five minutes late. And so here's a way of let's love people. In fact, let me push this even further. At 3.15, a bunch of us meet to pray in this little room just behind here. And there's, there was about eight of us, I think, who met to pray, and it was great. But if you want to be already thinking and, and having been praying with people and, and ready for the service, do you see how these things can help us to be ready. So I want to encourage you to get control of your diaries in such a way that church becomes your priority, that Sunday becomes your priority. Now, of course, sometimes things come up. It's okay. We can have holidays. We can go and visit people. I get that. But are there times when we sort of, we do church as long as there's nothing else that's come up? I want to say, get church in your diary. Be here every Sunday if you can. And to those of you who are shift workers, I think that's really tough, and I think we should be praying for you and supporting you better, because I think shift working is really hard. And so I want to say to you shift workers, praise God for you, how can we do a better job of serving you? Um, But let's be here. Okay, I hope you got me right. Okay, I'll stop banging on about that. I think it's one of the foxes, though. I think we turn up stressed and all over the place. Here's a second fox that I think um, we need to think through, and that is broken relationships. So if you could, um, again, you can turn if you want. Matthew 5. This isn't difficult to understand. Matthew 5. Jesus teaches very clearly about this. In Matthew 5, verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, that is, if you're coming to worship, right? If you're coming to God to worship, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I'm trying to be practical, but Jesus says, One of the things that will spoil worship, one of the things that will spoil our our experience of God is if our relationships with one another are broken. Here's a very practical thing as you get to Sunday is there someone that you need to go and say sorry to? Is there someone that you've fallen out with? Is there someone that you were sharp with that week? Actually, it's a beautiful thing on a Sunday morning to say, hey, can I come around, I'd, I'd love to go out for coffee. I just want to say sorry for the way that I treated you this week. That will It's not just that that's a good thing to do. It will deepen your experience of being church family together approaching God. So I want to encourage you to think through what, it, what that would look like. Jesus is very clear about it. Cluttered diaries, broken relationships, and here's one more, and then we're going to have some time to respond and to pray. Um, And that is um, cold hearts. Because fundamentally, often our hearts just go cold, right? Jesus, when he looks at a church um, in a place called Laodicea, he looks at them, um, and in Revelation chapter 3, he says to them, you're lukewarm. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And it's a similar, it's like cold, lukewarm, you get the idea. That sense of a heart that's just lost its passion, it's lost its joy in God. And that happens. And that is why, actually, it's a bit like a fire, right? You know when you've got a barbecue and the embers are sort of all just... You get a big stick and you stir it up and you chuck some more fuel on it, and suddenly it's raging again. Everyone loves, right? We love a raging fire. You don't want a little (laughs) fifth there. You want a big fire. And actually, we need to find ways to stir up a love for God, to turn the embers of our dying love into flames, to ask that God would stir up our hearts and chuck fuel on the fire so that our hearts would burn. Think back to um, the king and his bride who haven't seen each other for three months, right? Over those three months, imagine they'd had no contact at all. (laughs) They hadn't sent any messages, they hadn't sent any Facebook, any, any text, nothing. There'd be no contact at all between them. And they meet each other and they go, oh, I remember you. Just tell me your name again. Oh, yes. That's ridiculous, because a relationship is stoked By regular contact. A relationship is stoked by regular attention and affection. And actually, one of the best ways to enjoy and to encounter God on a Sunday is to enjoy and encounter God every day, to enjoy Him, to find ways to seek after Him, to pursue Him, to ask that He would be stirring up our hearts. Because the reality is that our hearts so quickly turn from him. Our hearts are so prone to wander, are so prone to fix ourselves on other things, to chase off after other lovers. And you will never enjoy God if you're also trying to enjoy sin. That's the problem. You can't have both. If you choose to enjoy sin, if you choose to enjoy what God says is wrong, your relationship with God, although you may be able to fake it on a Sunday, it will be so unsatisfactory. And we've all been there, right? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know what that's like. You cherish sin in your heart. Like Abu the monkey, oh, this isn't helpful. Abu the monkey in Aladdin, when he sees the little jewel. And he goes for it, and his eyes, he's like, yeah, yeah, I want that. And he grabs for it. We're so captivated by things that we should not have, things that God says are wrong. And we're like a and monkey, and we get dragged towards it. And we need to be reminded you can't have the treasure and Aladdin. You can't have the relationship with sin and with God. You just can't have both. You have to choose one. And if you choose sin, then there's no, no way that you can enjoy and encounter God. And so actually, as we come to church, we should come saying, God, please stir my heart. Please show me where my sin is. Please help me to love you more than I love anything else. Please, would my eyes, be captivated by the beauty of Jesus. So look, there's some stuff that I hope is helpful as we think about approaching God. Imagine if you took time on a Sunday to examine your heart, to pray to God, to listen to some songs, to sing to him, so that when you came to church, you weren't coming cold. You were coming already warm. You were coming with a heart already on fire, so that when you start to sing, you don't have to sort of ramp it up. You're ready to go. What a blessing you'd be to others. You know, often we kind of, we feel like we're going to do a whole um, sermon on singing in a couple of weeks. But just to say, I mean, often you think the first couple of songs are just warm-ups, right? You just kind of get going. No way. It's rubbish. Don't waste the first couple of songs. Warm up at home. Warm up on your way. Sing as you come. Get your heart ready before God. Practice every day so that on Sunday when you gather, you're just like, come on. And you stand. And let me tell you, you might be the reason that someone else, and one of the reasons we sit like this is that we can encourage each other That as they see your joy, they find their own heart challenged and encouraged to love Jesus more. So there we go. I think there's some things about how we prepare, how we come to God, and how we get our hearts ready and and right before him. Practically speaking, I think that means that setting aside a moment each day when we pray and we read the Bible. I know it's basic stuff, but are you doing it? If you find church to be dull, if you find church to be mundane, could it be that your we- regular weekly pattern is feeding that? If you're not sure how to do that, ask someone. Ask someone you think is slightly more mature than you as a Christian. You might find out they're not. But ask them. Say, what do you do? Let's help each other. So I'm going to um, lead us in prayer and then we've got a decent chunk of time and we're going to sing some songs and, and I, in these moments... I want you to be thinking and asking God, Lord, where are the foxes that are spoiling my relationship with you? Is it this cluttered diary? Are there things that I need to shift around? Are there broken relationships? Is there a cold heart? Is there sin that I'm clinging on to? And let's ask that God would help us to catch the foxes and prepare our hearts to encounter him. Let me lead us in prayer and then we can have some time to sing and to respond. Father thank you again for the beautiful invitation to come. To come as we are, to come in our sin, in our failure, to come in our mess and to come and find you and to drink. And Lord we pray that as we come to you that we might catch the foxes that we might see those things that would spoil our relationship with you and ruin our enjoyment of you. Father, we want to encounter you. We want to enjoy you. We don't just want to know about you. We want to taste and see. We want to drink deeply of all that you have for us. Lord, even in these moments now, as we respond to your word, Father, please stir our hearts. Set our hearts ablaze with love for you. Lord, let us be a church family that we encourage each other to love you more. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.